you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to John chapter 10. If you don't, you could pull the Bible from the seat back in front of you out and open to page 759, where you should find John chapter 10. When I was involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in college, it's a, it's a Christian fellowship group, the highlight of every summer was the summer leadership camp that we would go to after finals were over in the spring. And one of my favorite memories from that camp was that every year a staff worker named Dick, no relation, would, um, would give a leadership talk on shepherds and sheep. And um, he was a staff worker from another university. He grew up in the country, as was evidenced by his country drawl. And, and Dick knew about sheep. And, and every year he'd begin his talk, I know about sheep. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> And to illustrate this, he'd tell this story about driving down a country road, and there was, there was a sheep pasture there, uh, fenced off with sheep fence, and, and the mesh in the sheep fence was just big enough for the sheep to poke their heads through to get that greener grass that's always on the other side of the fence. And, and so they'd stick their head through, they'd get a few mouthfuls of grass, and then because sheep are dumb, in, instead of pulling their heads straight back out the way they put their heads in, they would try to lift their heads up, and they would get stuck in the sheep fence. And, and, and so he would be driving down the road and, and invariably every time there'd be a whole bunch of sheep lined up <laughs> along the fence with their heads stuck in the fence. And so Dick knew that the most merciful thing to do was to stop his car, to get out, to walk over, and because sheep have very hard heads, the most merciful thing to do was to give them a swift kick between the eyes to pop their heads back out through the fence, and then the sheep would be free and could go on their way. Until next time, he drove down the road when all the same sheep would be right back there with their heads stuck through again, because he would conclude, sheep are dumb. <laughs> Now, there are a lot of animals God could have used to describe his people, but he chose sheep. <laughs> and Rick Watts, who's a New Testament scholar, suggested that if Jesus was telling the story today, he might use turkeys. I am the good turkey farmer. My turkeys hear my voice and follow me. Well, turkeys are sheep. The point's the same. We're not always that bright. We often make the same mistakes again and again. We're slow to learn, and despite our pretensions to be different, the, the truth is that at our core, many of us are timid, easily frightened, and prone to stray and to lose our way in life. And so we're in need of good leadership. The world longs for good leaders. Whole nations perish for lack of good leadership. Maybe some of you have had jobs or lived in families where, where life was barely bearable because the bosses in those jobs or, or the parents or spouses in those families were not good leaders. And, and their lack of good leadership created an atmosphere which was disorganized or was chaotic or, or was downright dysfunctional and toxic. Churches need good leadership too, right? Well, in today's passage, Jesus addresses our need for good leadership, for good shepherds. In this passage, Jesus claims that we're sheep and that he is first our sheep gate and second our good shepherd. To modernize the imagery, what Jesus is saying is that he is first our leadership school and second, he's our leader. And we'll see what I mean as we unpack these two claims of Jesus. 
Now, to understand these claims first, though, we have to know something about sheep and shepherding. In Palestine, where Jesus lived, often several shepherds would cooperate together. They'd keep their flocks in the same pen at night, often a stone pen, I suppose, in that part of the world. And uh, they'd employ hired hands to help them and a watchman to guard the sheep's gate or the pen's gate. And I don't know if you've ever seen today, if you've been around sheep at all, how, how sometimes shepherds will paint the rear ends of their sheep a distinct color to be able to distinguish their sheep from another shepherd's sheep. The blue sheep are mine, the red sheep are yours, kind of thing. But in Jesus' day, shepherds had another way of telling their own sheep from others, and that was this. When it was time to gather their sheep out of the sheep pen and to lead their sheep out to pasture, a shepherd would come to the sheep gate and would give a distinctive call to their sheep. And the sheep recognized their shepherd and, and his voice and his distinct call. And, and so all the sheep belonging to that shepherd would head for the gate and would come out and follow the shepherd. Then the next shepherd would do the same thing, and, and his or her sheep would follow, and, and so on until all the sheep were with their proper shepherds. The watchman, or the gatekeeper, of course, was there to make sure that only the shepherds got out of the gate with any sheep, because there were always sheep thieves who were trying to sneak in and steal sheep which didn't belong to them. Now, to understand Jesus' sheep, uh, teaching about sheep and shepherds, we also have to know something about the Feast of Dedication, which John tells us in verse 22 is the context in which Jesus' teaching about sheep and shepherding took place. You um, may have realized by now, as we've been working through selections of John's gospel, that John has structured his gospel largely around different Jewish festivals. And John expects us to hear Jesus' teaching in light of the, the imagery related to those festivals. So in this case, it's the Feast of Dedication, which um, is the feast we today call Hanukkah. And this feast commemorated the, the cleansing of the Jewish temple about 150 years before the coming of Christ under the leadership of the Maccabees. And at that dark time in Jewish history, a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes had control of much of the area around Israel and Israel itself. And he was attempting to Hellenize his domain. He was forcing pagan Greek culture and ideas onto it by any means possible. And of course, the Jews resisted taking on these pagan Gentile customs. And so Antiochus forced them ruthlessly. Among other things, history tells us that he crucified many Jews who wouldn't go along. He uh, attacked and desecrated the Jewish temple, setting up an altar of Zeus and sacrificing a pig on the altar, which just wasn't kosher if you were a Jew, of course. Um, Antiochus outlawed circumcision, and he made it a crime to own a copy of the Torah. Th this was a terrible time for God's people, a brutal time, and it was made all the more so because some key Jewish leaders, including some top priests, particularly two named Jason and Menelaus, cooperated with Antiochus, Jewish priests. They betrayed their own people in their people's time of greatest need. Well, eventually a man named Judas Maccabeus 
staged a successful revolt and drove Antiochus and the Greeks out of the city, cleansed the temple, and restored proper worship there. And, and so that's the story that the Feast of Dedication celebrates. As you may know, it celebrates the miracle of, of the lamp oil that lasted eight days when the, the temple was rededicated for the first time. But not only that, it also remembers and celebrates the return of good shepherds, of good leadership, after the tragedy of terrible shepherds, corrupt shepherds. And so at this feast, it's no surprise that the Jews read from Ezekiel 43, the text that um, Doug read with us this morning with Marilyn. And, and that's a scripture, as we heard, that bemoans that the shepherds, the leaders of God's people, care only for themselves. And so it concludes that God himself must come and be their shepherd. And so during the Feast of Dedication, when, when everyone is acutely aware of the need for shepherds and of the past failure of human shepherds and of God's promise that one day he would be the people's good shepherd, we hear Jesus' teaching. And, and, and as we look at John 10 this morning, we also need to remember what happened in the story right before it, a story which we looked at several weeks ago when Jesus healed a man born blind. And the Jewish leaders, the shepherds of Israel at that time, wouldn't accept that this was a good thing. So much so that they wound up speaking abusively against the blind man and excommunicating him, basically throwing him out of their culture. And Jesus pointed out that, that they were the ones who were actually blind. These leaders, these shepherds were blind. And so now in that context of the dedication, the Feast of Dedication of Ezekiel 34, of what has just happened in John 9, Jesus now speaks up and he claims, first of all, I am the sheep gate. And second, I am the good shepherd. So first, I am the sheep gate, he says. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, a quick note about this statement. This word climb in, literally in the Greek, is the word ascend. Anyone who ascends some other way. Ascend, this is a word that Jesus uses repeatedly in John's gospel to talk about the fact that he has descended from heaven and that he will once again ascend to his Father in heaven. And how will Jesus ascend? He will ascend by dying on a cross by, and then by being raised from the dead. That's the way he will ascend back to his father. And that way involves his giving his life. Um, so hear Jesus again. I am the sheep gate. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate... Anyone who, who seeks to lead the sheep to be a shepherd but ascends to leadership some other way, some other way than my way, some other way than the way of the cross, that person is a thief and a robber. Do you hear Jesus? Jesus recognizes that the bottom line is that we are sheep. God's people need good shepherds to guide, to feed, to care for them. But God's people need only one kind of shepherd. And that is a shepherd who enters by the gate. Leaders who don't ascend any other way, 
but rather shepherds who graduate from the Jesus shepherding school. Shepherds who, who know Jesus, who submit themselves to Jesus, and who learn from Jesus his way of leadership. And that way involves laying down one's life. That's the only kind of leadership which, which gets an accredited diploma from the Jesus School of Leadership. Jesus is the sheep gate. All true shepherds must enter through him. And wannabe shepherds who, who would ascend any other way to leadership are thieves and robbers. A number of years ago when I was considering um, what denomination to seek ordination to be a pastor in, I learned that some denominations have pretty strict standards about who they'll ordain as pastors. And for one thing, you have to go to their seminary. Um, they only recognize leaders for their denomination who have been through their schools. And maybe some of you have experienced this kind of gatekeeping in your professions, where a certain employer or a certain accrediting body has a list of approved schools. And if you don't have a certificate or a diploma from one of those schools, sorry, no good. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you want to be a God-recognized, God-ordained leader, then there's only one school that God accepts. And that is the Jesus school of shepherding. And what you learn in that school is that the only way of leadership is the way of the cross. It's the way of, of laying down your life for God's sheep. So Jesus says, for such a leader who is enrolled in this school, verse 3, the gatekeeper, that's God the Father, opens the door into leadership of his sheep. Now, you know, let's stop and think about the top Christian leaders in America today. Leaders who have best-selling books. They have um, highly followed blogs. They um, have founded huge churches or organizations. Maybe they're on TV. Maybe they have big political figures, or maybe they're big political figures. What does it take to become that kind of leader? Well, I'd suggest that it takes three things. It takes ambition. It's hard work. You've got to really want it. You've uh, got to be willing to, to work hard to get your name out, to promote yourself. Second, it takes charisma. You, you need to have a, a magnetic personality to, to draw people in, to inspire them, to attract them. Third, it takes gifting and expertise. You've, you've got to be at the top of your game. You need, you need expertise. But has anyone checked these people's credentials to see if they graduated from the Jesus School? To see if Jesus has taught them how true shepherds ascend to leadership by laying down their life for God's sheep. Because Jesus says all others are just thieves and robbers who don't really care about the sheep, but are just using the sheep for their own purposes. Well, may that never be true of any leader in this church. If you're in leadership, not because you care about God's sheep, but because you like the honor and the status of the position, or because you like the control and the influence that it gives you, then you need to step down right now. Or, or else you need to repent and ask God to give you a good heart and sign up for the Jesus School of Leadership. Well, then Jesus goes even further. He says he's not only the sheep gate, 
But second, in verses 11 to 30, he's the good shepherd himself. The good shepherd. Because the truth is that ultimately none of us gets out of the Jesus school with straight A's. Uh, I'm not sure I want to show you my report card. <laughs> we, we try. We, we follow Jesus. We aspire to be like Jesus. We take our cues from him. We, we imitate him. We, we work alongside of him as, as under shepherds, as his assistants. But ultimately, there's only one perfect graduate from the Jesus school, and that's Jesus himself. Over against the infamous shepherds who betrayed God's people under Antiochus Epiphanes. Over against the worthless shepherds of Ezekiel 34. Over against the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day who have just shown what kind of shepherds they are by insulting and throwing out a man born blind, one of their sheep. Over against every so-called Christian leader today who has never attended the Jesus school of shepherding, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Why? Because verse 11 the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's Jesus' orientation toward us. We may only be sheep, but our shepherd cares for us so much that he will even lay down his own life for us. Do you ever feel like, like you, you have to work hard before you're, you're good enough for Jesus to notice you? Do you ever feel like Jesus has more important problems? And, and so who are you to deserve his attention? Do you ever feel like Jesus is happy and content just to remain far off from you? No, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I came down for you, my sheep, because I know many other shepherds have failed you. I came down for you myself. I, so, so I, or I'm sorry, I care for you myself. And so, so I came down myself to, to rescue you, to, to save you, to, to lead you, to lay down my life for you. I love you so much that when a wolf comes to attack you, I, I won't run off. I'll, I'll stand my ground. I'll stand in my way to, to protect you, to, to give up my life, to keep you safe. Come to me, Jesus says. Come, my sheep. I, and not any other, I am the good shepherd. As we look through these verses, there's at least six ways here that we see that Jesus cares for his sheep. Six blessings that, that God's sheep enjoy when Jesus is their shepherds. Their nourishment, intimacy, communication, Security, community, and change. Let's look at each one just briefly. First, God's sheep enjoy the nourishment that the good shepherd provides. Verse 9. They will come in and go out and find pasture. This phrase, come in and go out, is a Greek idiom. It, it speaks of uh, free, unhindered access, in this case, to good pasture. Any good shepherd would be sure that his sheep have plenty to eat because every shepherd wants his sheep to have plenty of nourishment so that they remain healthy. And how much more our good shepherd who wants to nourish us with physical food, yes, but, but with spiritual nourishment all the more. Second, Jesus' sheep enjoy intimacy with the shepherd. 
verses 14 and 15. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. Did you hear that? As the father knows me and I know the father. So in the same way, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Wow. How well do you think the father knows the son? How well do you think the son knows the father? So in the same way, does our shepherd know us? And we know our shepherd. Do you believe this? Has this been your experience yet? Many of us probably don't have trouble believing that the son knows us. He knows our feelings, our, our thoughts, our unspoken longings, our fears, our hidden sins. But do you believe that we can know our shepherd like this? That, that you can enjoy this kind of intimacy with Jesus? Jesus invites you. The good shepherd invites you to know and to experience more. Third, Jesus' sheep enjoy communication with the shepherd. Verses 3 and 4. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. My sheep listen to my voice, Jesus says down in verse 27. As we read God's word, we hear the shepherd. As we listen to sermons which are faithful to that word, we hear the good shepherd speaking to us. When we're doing something wrong and we have those pangs of conviction, we hear the good shepherd speaking to us. When, when a friend or a spouse calls us on something and, and we don't want to hear it at first, but then we go away and we, we think about it and we say, oh, you know, that, that rings true. I think there's something true to what they said. We hear the good shepherd speaking to us. Now, there's a lot of mystery here. There's no nice, neat formula for how Jesus speaks to us. Dallas Willard, who's written an excellent book on hearing God's voice, says the most important thing is that you discern Jesus' voice just like anyone else's voice. It just sounds like him. It, just like the sheep and... The, the sheep know and they recognize that, that unique call, that, that the voice of the shepherd, its, its unique quality, its pitch and its timber. So Jesus' sheep come to recognize the unique qualities of their shepherd's voice, the, the flavor of it, the sense of it, the, the character of it, the, the tone. You know, I'm going to stress this point a little more. I, I don't know about you, but my wife Ann and I were brought up um, and discipled as young Christians to navigate our way through the Christian life by principles. We were taught to, to go to scripture and, and to glean principles from it and to use our, our minds to apply those principles to our daily lives and, and based on that method to navigate our way through life, to make various decisions and to move forward. And that's all good. That, that's very good. We still do that, but, but it's incomplete. Something is, is missing because none of that requires a relationship. You could do the same thing with Buddha's teaching or with, with Plato's teaching or, or with the self-help book. But Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice. That they know him and, and he knows them. There's a relationship there. There's real communication. And to tell you the truth, I feel like I'm still in elementary school when it comes to understanding and experiencing this. Some of you are way, way ahead of me. 
Um, but I'm learning. And, and one tool that has helped me um, a lot is this circle, which I've introduced before. And we're going to look at that in the discussion group today. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. And if you'd like to learn better how to hear God's voice and to respond to it, then come and maybe it will help you out. Because one of our spiritual growth goals as a church is that we would actually be listening to and following Jesus as our good shepherd each day. Okay, fourth, Jesus' sheep enjoy security because of the shepherd. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Security. If we are Jesus' sheep, if we really believe in and are following the shepherd, nobody and nothing can snatch us out of the shepherd's hand. This wonderful truth came home to me in a powerful way when I was living in Hungary back in my early 20s. I was going through a really dark time spiritually. Um, I couldn't find God. I couldn't connect with God. I couldn't hear the shepherd's voice at all. I'd, re I'd read the Bible, nothing. I'd pray. Nothing. I'd, I'd go to church. Nothing. I felt totally abandoned. I felt um, totally alone. And, and as time went on, I realized to my horror that my faith in God was shrinking and growing very dim. Until I had very little sense at all about whether God was real or whether I was one of his children. But just when I thought I, I might be lost, somehow through the darkness, a, a single slender, slender truth got through to my heart. And I remember I was praying and I was saying something to God like, God, I, I just can't hold on to you anymore. I, I, I can't believe that you're good. I, I can't believe that you care about me. I'm not even sure if you're there at all or if I'm just talking to myself. I, I can't hold on. And here's the truth that, that dawned on me. It was as if God said quietly to me in that moment, my child, I know. It's okay. It's okay that you can't hold on to me because I am holding on to you. I'm holding on to you and I will never let you go. Security. The good shepherd says, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. Wow. Fifth, Jesus' sheep enjoy the shepherd's community. I have other sheep, he says, that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Shepherds are never in the business of wash, watching over lone individual sheep. No, shepherds always gather their sheep together into flocks. And the good shepherd is always in the process of gathering his flock, of, of, of herding his sheep together into a flock. And no one is allowed to stray out on their own. And, and if a sheep does, the shepherd's task is to always bring it back into the flock. Which leads us finally to sixth. That Jesus' sheep can expect the shepherd to lead them into change. As we just saw, part of that change results from the fact that the shepherd is always going out and seeking after other sheep to bring them into the flock. Think of the early church. They, they were a bunch of Jews. They were happily going along with their, their kosher kitchens and their Sabbath and their other um, common cultural um, 
uh, qualities. And then the good shepherd goes out seeking and saving and adding to the flock a bunch of uncircumcised, unclean, pork-eating Gentiles. And it requires the Jewish Christians to change, and it's not easy. And as the shepherd adds new sheep to our flock, the same happens to us. But the shepherd calls us to change in other ways, too. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd leads his sheep out of the safe, cozy sheep pen. He goes on ahead of them, and they follow him. Now, I owe this insight to, to preacher Daryl Johnson. He points out that cattle ranchers drive their livestock from behind. But shepherds don't do it that way. Shepherds are out in front of their sheep, going ahead. Taking the sheep to places the sheep haven't been before. Leading them into new places where there are fresh dangers, but also fresh green pastures. But the sheep follow because the sheep trust their shepherd. They trust that their shepherd has their best interests in mind, that, that their shepherd will protect them from danger. They trust that their shepherd will provide them with new pastures. The good shepherd calls his sheep to new things, and this means change. That's your good shepherd. That's my good shepherd. There is no other leader like him. And any leader who is not enrolled in the Jesus school of shepherding is no leader at all, but only a thief and a robber. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Behold the good shepherd. Do you hear his voice? Will you follow him? Amen.